Thanks for bringing us shopping today. It's going to be fun. Oh, I'm excited. I, I am too. I just have not been out since Christmas, and that was a zoo. Well, it's time to spend a little more money again, isn't it? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Oh, what are you guys doing this weekend? Uh, just kids, sports stuff. That's Nothing fun. too exciting. It's fun, though. That's good. Yeah. Good family time. I should invite her to church. What's the worst that could happen? Hey, Julie, do you want to go to church with us this weekend? <laughs> church? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, church. I don't think so. I think I'm busy. Church? Seriously? Uh, no, I don't do church. I have not been at church for a really long time. I just, it would be really awkward. I would feel so embarrassed if I saw people that, and they know that I haven't been to church for so long. I would hate it. Hate. Plus, it's so boring. No, thanks. Yeah, that's the first thing I want to do. When I wake up in the morning, before I have my coffee, go to church, talk about dead people. It's real fun. No. Is there something wrong with me? Should I be going to church? Um, let me check my calendar. Uh, uh, nope, looks like I'm busy. Sorry. Check me next year. Hey, Julie, do you want to go to church with us this weekend? I'd love to. That sounds really nice. Yeah. Thank you for asking us. Yeah, I'm excited. What time is it at? 10.30. Okay. Yeah. Will you say Absolutely. Okay. okay I'm cool. so excited. Awesome. We'll Thank see you there. You. <laughs> yeah. And they're both here this morning. Woohoo is right. Can you relate to that video? I mean, I imagine a lot of us have had at least some of those conversations in our mind, if not in reality. But have you gotten to the last one? Have you actually gotten to the last one where you took that step and you actually invited somebody to church? The invitation, have you, have you personally invited someone to meet Jesus here at worship with you? I love when I get to do that. Because I love Jesus. And, and I love people. And I love our church. I, I love the people that make up the open door. I, I love all of you folks. I mean, we, we've got an incredibly wonderful group of people that calls this place home. And I love that God is present here. I love that God's Holy Spirit is here. And so I know when I invite someone to come to church here on a Sunday morning, I know they're going to have a good experience. They might not be used to our kind of music or our kind of service or whatever it is that, that's different than what they used to in the past. But I know what they're going to experience. And I love inviting people to church. This is a command of Jesus. Invite others to know him. That's a command I can get excited about. I, I really can. And today is the last day of our series. And so this is, this is as far as we go in the seven commands of Jesus. And I think we save the best for last. I really do. I, I think we save the best one. The idea that, that we get to invite people into a living relationship with the living Jesus, that, that we get to introduce people to our Savior. And He uses us. It, it's incredible to invite them to meet, 
to invite them to meet him for themselves, that should be one of the most exciting parts about being a Christian. I mean, that, that's kind of where God invites us into this huge plan that he's got going on, and, and we get to take a central part of it. It isn't that it's about us, but we get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of God's plan. It's one of the things that we need to remind ourselves of here every Sunday morning, and then we need to go during the week and be out there doing it. And our mission statement is really simple, and it reflects that. Our mission statement is about who we'll be as a church and what we're called to do as Christians through this place. So the front of the shirts that we're all wearing up here says, I love my church, the Open Door Christian Church. And the back is our mission statement. Love Jesus, love people, teach people to love Jesus. It's that simple. That's really as simple as it is. And yes, you can get one of these for yourselves. They're going to be on the door on the way out if you want one. I really do love my church. I really do love Jesus. I love people, and I have invested my life in trying to help people meet him and learn to follow him. I get really, really excited when people decide that they want to follow Jesus and love him themselves. Because it's the, it's the reality in front of us of the greatest commandment and the great commission coming to life. And we get a front row seat. It's all wrapped up in that one simple statement. Love Jesus, love people, and teach people to love Jesus. And we can remember it and we can live it out. And that's one of the last things that Jesus did when he was on earth. He, he gave marching orders to the Christian church. He gave it to the disciples and, and then all the Christians that would follow. And, and then it's you and I. We're, we're caught up in this one. He says, tell the world about me, about my life, about my death, about my resurrection and salvation for the forgiveness of sins. And then baptize people who commit to following me and then teach them how to be my disciples. And it's so important that our Bibles call it the Great Commission. Jesus' great sending words. And so if you've got a Bible, Matthew 28, verse 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's a command to us, not just to the disciples 2,000 years ago. That's a command to you and I. Go, therefore. As we move forward as a church in the next year, we're going to talk a lot more about what it is to be a disciple. This is also why we take foreign missions so seriously. Go, therefore, into all the world. We can impact and reach our area pretty easily if we're committed to it. It takes a little more effort to make a difference around the world. And as a congregation, we're committed to being a part of that in foreign missions. Jesus goes on, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's why we take baptism so seriously. It's why we make them such a big celebration when someone is willing to commit their lives to Jesus and become a disciple of his. We need to celebrate that. The Great Commission is being lived out right in front of us. Verse 20, what do we do then? Teach them to obey all that I on a Sunday morning, we commit to teaching God's Word and only God's Word. That's why we take it so seriously. It's right here in the Great Commission of Jesus. An every week thing. Finally, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're not alone in this thing. Jesus doesn't say, go out and make Christians and make new disciples. Good luck. No, Jesus says, I'm there with you. I'm with you all the way. And when we know Jesus is alive with us. That takes on a very different understanding. We don't do it on our own. We do it together with him in our world today. Excuse me. In our world today, we hear so much about together. We're in this together, right? But the thing is, it seems the only thing that we're in this together about is COVID. Am I right? 
We're in this together. We hear it all over the place. We're supposed to take care of each other by wearing masks and keeping a distance and not being close to the people that we want to be close to and celebrating with the people we want to celebrate. And it's so funny to me how we have these incredibly strong feelings as Christians about these things that weren't even a part of our world a year ago. Masks. We make such a big deal about masks. I hear Christians using their faith as a reason to support their beliefs and and to make all kinds of hurtful statements out there. And I read Facebook. I know what people are saying. Here's what I don't get. Why aren't we as passionate about Jesus as we are about masks? Really? It's a serious question. Why are we not as passionate about our faith in Jesus As we are about masks, maybe if we were less critical with those who don't agree with us and more serious about proclaiming life and salvation and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, our world would be a different place. I wonder if our country would be a different place. I wonder if we as Christians hadn't taken that seriously years ago, if we would be in the pickle that we're in as a country right now anyway. I mean, COVID is real. Don't get me wrong. It's a real virus. It's racking up a real death toll. But here is truth. Jesus is more real And more powerful than anything that you're ever going to fear from COVID. Because Jesus offers eternal life where COVID may offer death. Certainly sickness, division among people. That's why people fear COVID, but we're called to love Jesus. What if that was our message? What if that was our message as Christians? Yeah, I understand your concerns about COVID, but let me tell you about Jesus. Because your relationship with him can go on long after COVID has been forgotten. Your relationship with him can go on for all eternity. Jesus is literally life in the midst of death and light and hope and peace in the midst of fear and chaos and confusion. He's truth in the sea of fake and false and misleading news. But we don't talk about that. We talk about masks and COVID and separation and all those other things. See, Jesus makes his will for us and his expectations of us really clear. He did it 2,000 years ago, and they haven't changed. There's no doubt what he wants us to do. He wants us to go. He wants us to go to all nations in the world. He wants us to go to our families, spouses, and kids. He wants us to go to the people we work with, the places where we shop. Go and make disciples and introduce them to Jesus and baptize them and teach people to live in the way that Jesus commands us to live. And, yes, that means that we have to know what that's about, which is why we talk about the Bible every Sunday morning. And he says, and I'll be with you always. And not only that, but God sent his Holy Spirit. Because it's real easy. And one of the reasons we don't talk to people about Jesus is that we think, I'm going to get tripped up and I don't know enough. But God says, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and he's going to help you. He's going to be your counselor. Acts 1.8 says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God doesn't send us the Holy Spirit so that we can be super Christians. God sends us the Holy Spirit so we can tell the world about Jesus. God sends us the Holy Spirit so that the church can become what God has called and created to be. God gives us this provision for carrying out the great commission that Jesus will always be with us. Jesus' plan and command is very simple. And then God sends us the Holy Spirit to do all the things that we can't. See, God knows us, and so he sends us help. It isn't like you're out there on your own. If you're a Christian and if you've been saved from your sin by the death and resurrection of Jesus, and you know that you're no longer the same person that you were, 
You know that the person that you are isn't the same as the person that you used to be. You might still stumble over and trip up on some of the same things, but you're different. You've been saved. Your eternity is secure. You've been transformed by the love of Jesus. I would think you'd want to talk about him, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to tell people about this guy that changed your life and how it is that you've been changed? How it is that you met him and what he is for you and how you go through the day with him. And yet, for some reason, when it comes to talking about Jesus, so many Christians just go silent. We just get quiet. Even a conversation with other people might happen that has to do with church or faith or religion or Jesus. And we don't even engage in that. And I I wonder why. I spent most of the first decade of ministry as an outreach and an evangelism pastor. And and if you know me at all, you know that's got to be God's sense of humor at work. Here's why. We've been going through the Myers-Briggs thing as a staff team in the office. And at the very beginning, the first letter is people are either extroverts or introverts. I'm a painful introvert. This, for me, is not comfortable. And if you know me at all, you know that's true. And then we've got these people that just thrive on this kind of stuff. And us introverts don't understand them. But the extroverts, they don't get us. They don't get us at all. But you know what? We're all called to talk about Jesus. And Jesus uses us right where we are, just the way that we are, to talk about him. And here's what I learned as an outreach and an evangelism pastor. The first thing, and maybe the most important thing, is that it's all about relationships. It's all about having spent the time getting to know someone And they know that you care about them and so that they understand that whatever it is that you might say, whether they agree or not, it comes from a good place. Now, there's some people that are called to be street evangelists and just preach to everybody out there, whether they know them or not. And that's cool. That's not me. I I am not wired to do that. I believe in it, but I'm not wired to do it. But I did spend my first decade talking to people about Jesus in in one-on-one ways, in in coffee shops and restaurants and, and all kinds of stuff. See, what I found out is if you jump out in front of somebody and you just start preaching to them, more often than not, they tune you out and dismiss you because you haven't really earned that right in their world. But if you're intentional about having a relationship through time and intentionality and, and interest in them and true love, not, not the kind of love that says, I've got I to gotta check something off the list and you're my next target, but true love where we earn the right to be heard and we earn the right to say to them what's important to us. So what would that be for you? What, if you have that opportunity, what would you choose to talk about? Would you talk about Jesus? Is, is that the most important thing to you? Maybe the Vikings, another sports team. Um, maybe you talk about money, investments, that kind of stuff. Maybe you talk about food. And, and so if you know me, besides being an introvert and besides loving to talk about Jesus, I like to eat. I mean, I really like to eat. So much do I like to eat that I learned to cook. I really like to eat. In fact, I've seen a very small part of our world, but I honestly remember the places that I visited more by the food than the sites. It's true. There's things that are in history books that you've got to check off this, that, or the other. I can tell you the restaurants that I've eaten in some cities, and I can tell you all about the food, but I can't necessarily tell you about the stuff that everybody goes there to see. I love food. I love to eat. I love talking about food. It's easy for me to talk about food to other people who appreciate it. I mean, I could go through a list, and it would probably scare you a little bit about the restaurants I've been to and exactly what I ate. But, you know, it didn't change me. There was no transformation in any one of those things for me. 
But admit it, there's a little bit of you that's the same way. If you happen to be one of the first to find a new restaurant, if you happen to be one of the first people in your group of influence, the friends and folks you are around, that finds a new place to eat, what do you do? If it's any good, you go back and talk about it, don't you? You go back and share the good news about this great place to eat and how the food is so fantastic and you're going to love it and it's worth the drive and, that, and that's amazing. And, and the people who you know, the people who trust you, they listen to you. But why don't we do that about Jesus? Why is it so hard to talk about Jesus and so easy to talk about food? And it's true for all of us. But if we're going to be honest, on our best day, the best meal that we ever have, the most truly great meal, isn't going to change you. Not really. Too many of them may change you in the wrong direction. Not in a good way, but even with the best restaurants, there's not life transformation that happens. You know, your, your, your mind doesn't start thinking and seeing people differently. Your heart doesn't grow. You don't see the world in a new way because you've had a great meal. And so when we think about going to a new restaurant, there's two ways in our world today that we kind of consider how it is that we might do that. One, we take a recommendation from a friend. If someone gives us good news about a new restaurant, get a good news about a new restaurant. Okay, we'll take your word for it. I'll go check it out. The second thing is we go to Yelp or somewhere online, right? We look it up online. We Google it. We ask what the place says about it. And we make a decision about whether we're going to go or whether we're not by the, rest, the reviews that we read. Here's the deal. Do you realize that you spend your time and your money and you go to a new place based on the reviews of strangers? And Jesus invites us to give him an honest review. Jesus invites us to go to the people around us and give an honest review of our relationship with him, about who it is that he is to us, what he means and what he's done. So when you think about it, Jesus' invitation to us should be the most natural thing in the world. He's changed us more deeply. He's affected us more greatly. Our life and our eternity are different because of him in a way that going to a new restaurant never will be. And yet we struggle. Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who gave his life as payment for our sins, yours and mine, invites us in all the messiness of our lives, in all of our sinfulness, to tell people about him. God didn't have to do it that way, but he did. We get to be a part of the salvation story. It should be the most natural thing in the world, and yet it's not. We struggle with it. We come up with all kinds of reasons why we're not going to do it, not the right way, don't feel quite right, don't whatever, whatever, and we end up not talking about Jesus more than we do. And why is that? Why do we struggle with it so hard? I think one of the real reasons is that we're more afraid of what other people are going to think of us than we, think, than we care about what God's going to think of us. We're afraid that someone's going to think, well, you're a Jesus freak, or you're a Sunday morning crazy person, or you're whatever, whatever. You know, that isn't what matters. Jesus didn't call us to decide how people responded. He just simply invited us to tell them about him. You tell somebody about a restaurant, people are either going to like it or they're not. It's pretty simple. Yep, that was a great recommendation. Thank you. Nope, we didn't like the food at all. Too spicy for me. Not interested. If you tell them about Jesus, there's a few things that are going to happen. There's a few eternal things that are going to happen. If they believe in him, you are just a part of God's plan in changing their eternity. You change their life in the here and now, and you're a part of changing their eternity. You might have set them off on the course to a good meal, but you talk about Jesus, 
And you become a part of God's plan in changing someone's eternity. The other reason I think is that deep down, I think deep down, a lot of us don't believe that we're a good witness for Jesus. I think in our heart of hearts, we think, you know what, who am I to talk about him? I need to be forgiven. I know my sin. That person knows exactly who I am. They're not going to, I don't look like I've been changed. And rather than addressing those things and dealing with them and maybe making some of the changes that we need to make in our life, we just simply pretend to ignore the command to tell other people about him. We're not living up to Jesus' expectations of us, so then why in the world would I think I'm someone who can tell anyone about him? And what Satan ends up doing is using our sin and our guilt over our sin to prevent us from talking to other people about forgiveness. Because that's what it's all about with Jesus. It's crazy, but it's true. So so just think for a moment about what happens. If someone you love or care about never accepts Jesus as their Savior, what if they never accept the free gift of salvation? Maybe you never told them, maybe no one else ever told them. What happens if they never, ever, ever do anything about Jesus other than ignore him? Unlike a restaurant experience, meeting Jesus requires a decision to be made. It's easy when you go to a restaurant, you like it or you don't. The food was as good as you could make at home or it wasn't. You like the other place better. You introduce someone to Jesus and they've got to do something. When you introduce them to Jesus, a decision is made. And it's got personal, eternal, personal and eternal consequences for every single person who's introduced to him. The Bible says we've got one of two choices. Either we believe in him or we, re- we reject him. Either we believe in the good news of Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins, or we reject it. One or the other. That simple decision has eternal implications, and there is a lot more at stake than how someone feels about a restaurant. Mark 16 says, And Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. What's hanging in the balance then, according to God's own word, is eternity in either heaven or hell. And what people who don't believe in Jesus often say is, well, God's just angry. He's just mean. He just sends people to hell. I wouldn't believe in a God that sends people to hell. Guess what? I wouldn't either. In fact, I don't. God doesn't send people to hell. What God does is allows us to spend eternity in the place of our choosing. And that's pretty radical. And I've gotten into some really great theological fights over that one. Biblically speaking, I've won every one. You decide where you spend eternity. God allows us to go to the place of our choosing. And and here's the thing. And I don't understand how God does this or why. God invites you and I into people's salvation stories when we introduce them to Jesus. You think of what's at stake? That is big stuff. And God invites us into that every time we talk about Jesus. We we don't just toss a Bible their way and say, good luck, I hope it works out for you. No, we get to share our experiences with them. We get to share what we know of Jesus and and what we've, we've experienced with Jesus. We get to share how it is that we've seen the words of the Bible come to life and how Jesus is real to us, even in our sinfulness that otherwise might prevent us from talking about him. So maybe your excuse is you don't know enough. That's fair. It's easy to get a Bible. We've got them in back. I'd encourage you to grab one, take it home, and start reading there. Now you know more. If the idea is I don't know enough, well, you're never going to know as much as somebody else because there's always someone who's going to know more of the Bible. Maybe your excuse is, I don't have all the answers. You're never going to, not until heaven. 
And if your excuse is, well, they're going to ask me questions that I can't answer, God doesn't ask you to be ready to answer all the questions. God asks you to give witness to your relationship with Jesus. And you have that right now, whatever it is. Maybe it's, I'm still a sinner, I'm not a perfect Christian, i got a whole lot wrong with me. If they knew how messy my life was, there's no way they'd listen to me. You know what, you don't have to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect until heaven. Jesus, the one who saves our souls, is the one who's perfect. That's the one we're talking to him about anyway. You're not going to be able to save anyone. We get to tell people about our experience of Jesus and how it is that we know him and what we know about him. So you talk in conversations because we get nervous about that. What are are the things that we're told not to talk about? This time of year, there's a lot of family gatherings, though they're supposed to be in a normal year. Maybe you're going to be one of those rebels and you're going to gather with more than 10 people that have come from more than three houses. You wouldn't do that, right? Amen. Yes, you are. This is not a pastoral endorsement or encouragement of that idea. Please don't go there. You get together with family gatherings at Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter or family reunions in the summertime. Everybody knows there's two things you don't talk about, right? What are they? Number one, politics. Number two, what time, what else this time of year do we have to talk about? We got COVID, politics, and religion. That's it. Christmas, that covers religion. Politics, I don't need to say any more about that. And COVID is just out there. So what are you supposed to talk about? Like I said a few weeks ago, every conversation comes back to COVID some way or another. But here's the thing. Is keeping the peace of the family gathering the most important thing that you can do as a Christian? Is that the most important call that you've got? So think about this for a moment. If, if, if believing in Jesus and making a decision to accept him or reject him has an eternal consequence... How would you feel if you get to heaven and you've you've accepted cultural norms and you don't talk about religion and and talking about Jesus isn't about religion in the first place. That's all about relationship. You get to heaven. Some of the people, aunts and uncles or cousins or folks that you gather with aren't there. Are you going to be glad you didn't rock the family boat at dinner then? Or are you going to say, I wish I would have stepped out of my comfort zone just a little bit and told him who Jesus was? Why it is that I go to church, why I go to the church I go to, because my church talks about the Bible. See, all all we're told to do is to tell people about Jesus. It's really simple. You're not responsible for their decision. It's very similar, and the Bible uses the same language as when we go to a courtroom. Maybe you've been called to give witness or to, to give testimony. I've never been called as a witness in a court, but I have been a jury foreman, and we heard a lot of witnesses. We heard a lot of testimony, and to be a witness in court, and you swear to this before you step forward and take your seat, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You, tell, you swear to tell your experience the way you have seen it or lived it. Don't make anything up. Don't leave anything out. Just tell the truth. That's why the Bible uses the word witness and testimony. We give a first-person account of an event or a life, or in this case, a relationship with Jesus. We simply bear witness to the truth as we know it. You can't bear witness to truth that you haven't lived. You can't bear witness to Bible you don't know. You can't bear witness to things of God that you haven't learned or experienced. But you know what? Right where you are with the person you're talking to, you can bear witness to the truth of Jesus as you know him. Most people aren't going to get angry, and I can tell you this from a lot of experience. Most people aren't going to get angry by you telling them part of your story, even if it includes Jesus. 
What I learned years ago when I was doing outreach and evangelism and just having God conversations with people, I started the conversation this way. Tell me your story. You hear a lot about a person when they get to tell you whatever it is that they want you to know. Tell me your story. They knew I was a pastor. I would always follow it up with the question, does Jesus fit into your story or not? Why or why doesn't he? Amazing how often that went into a time of confession. I didn't ask for it. But somehow or another, that's where they went. Tell us your story. Just tell people about the Jesus that you know personally, who's a part of your life story. Maybe you've known him for years. Maybe you've just met. No matter what your testimony is, no matter what your story is, it's yours and God will use it. You may not like it. You may wish it was different. You may wish you had done different things along the way. But you are where you are. The question is, where are you with Jesus? All that you're asked to do is to tell the truth of your experience with Jesus. No matter how much or how little knowledge or experience you have, here's what I can promise you. God will use you right where you are if you are willing. God will use you with all of the the garbage and the messiness and all of the everything else if you're willing. So you're here today because somebody somewhere along the line stepped out of their comfort zone and told you something about Jesus. And what Jesus invites you to do is to take your part in that family line and invite someone else to meet them. And that's how the family grows. The Christian faith doesn't grow by intimidation. It doesn't grow by threats. It doesn't grow by a lot of things that we hear about religion. It grows by invitation and personal testimony. I know one of the strongest witnesses, the strongest testimonies of what a living faith in Jesus is, is the way I was privileged to grow up. And I, and I, I realized that I had a great upbringing. I grew up here in New London, just a block or two out of town. My mom worked at the postmaster, uh, post office, and then she became the postmaster. My father was a teacher. Uh, when I was young. What that meant was that mom was at work before six every morning and dad who got to school and had to get his day started was the one responsible for getting three kids up and cooking us breakfast every day, making sure we were dressed for school. Five days a week, stressed out and stretched for time. Mom and dad got it done every day, all the time. And I remember my dad made sure we had a hot breakfast. I didn't realize that was a big deal until later. I found out a lot of kids didn't get breakfast. We had a hot breakfast every day. And on those mornings when I woke up earlier, which didn't happen often, but it happened regularly enough to be able to see that there was a pattern going on, I would work my way out to the living room, and every single day would be my dad sitting in the corner in his chair with a single light bulb over his head. What was he doing? He wasn't reading the newspaper. He wasn't reading about the, the Wall Street Journal. He was reading the Bible all by himself in the corner in a room that was otherwise dark. That's my memory as a kid. That book, the Bible was so important to my parents that despite how busy dad was with his life, he started every day reading that book. And to this day, my mom and dad, who are enjoying a much well-deserved retirement, continue to spend time every single day in Bible study and doing devotions together. That witness of theirs, that testimony of theirs, had quite an impact because their three kids have carried on in the same direction believe the same thing, have put their faith in the same Jesus. And it is now working on to the next generation of grandkids and even on to the following generation where young Willow has a love for Jesus. That's where it began for me. Where did it begin for you? Who cared enough to show you how important Jesus was? So where do you begin?
Who is around you that's looking for you to understand why it is that you come here on a Sunday morning? Why do you take your time out of your busy life to go to church? So how do you start making a a testimony? How do you start living a life as a witness? Very simply, the, the first thing is you start by telling God, I'm willing. I'm willing to do what you need me to do. I'm willing to talk to people. I'm willing to do what you call me to do. And then you pray that God places people in your life that you would have the opportunity to share your testimony with. And here's the thing. The moment you say that prayer, it's going to start to happen. You're going to ignore the first few because you're going to think that it was a mistake or it was a coincidence. There are no coincidences. Not when you leave it to God, there's not. God will put people in your life that you've got an opportunity to share your faith with. What do you do? You share time. You spend time in God's Word because you don't need to know it all, but every little bit that we can learn, every bit that we know is going to help us out. It's going to help out the people that God brings us to talk to. Spend time in God's Word like the example that I saw when I was a kid. And then when the opportunity presents itself, when you've got a chance to have a conversation about something that really matters, about Jesus, just do it. So what's the heart of the message? What, 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 what's the one thing? that people need to understand, John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus isn't one of the many ways to heaven. The world says that. The Bible says that's not true. The Bible says Jesus is the only way to the Father and the only way to an eternity in heaven. And sadly, our area, and I don't know if you knew this, knew this or not, our area of, of west central Minnesota has one of the highest non-church attending populations in the United States of America. There are far more people that don't have a church home, that do not believe in Jesus, than do. Maybe you're the one that God is waiting to be willing to talk to one of those folks. If you do, if you're willing to step out and get out of your comfort zone and do it, consider it a privilege because you are being invited into changing someone's eternity and God is using you as a part of his plan of salvation for that person. You might be the only person that that person ever meets who cares enough about them to do what's uncomfortable and to share the love of Jesus with them. Not because you have all the answers, not because you're a super Christian, but because you love them enough to tell them about Jesus. And that's a big deal. It's a big deal that I can stand here and tell you has an impact for generations to come. And you know that it'll have an impact on their eternity. See, you don't have to tell people about the Jesus that you know. You get to. You're invited to tell people about the Jesus you know. And when you do, you experience what was described to me years ago as the joy of ministry, the privilege of ministry. It's not comfortable. It isn't easy. I can tell you that. 21 years worth. I get it. But you know what? When we do what isn't comfortable, but we're willing to follow God's lead, God uses you in his eternal plan of salvation, to change eternity for the people that you care about. doesn't mean they're all going to say yes, but your part is to make sure that they know who Jesus is and why it is that you believe in him. Let's pray. God, thank you for the example that you have given us in Scripture. Thank you for the words of Jesus and, and the way that you invite us to be a part of what it is that you're doing in the world, that we get to share our faith, that we get to tell people about Jesus. We don't have to, God, but just like going to a great restaurant, talking about Jesus should even be more exciting. And so just place in our hearts, God, a desire to do that, even though it's frightening, even though it probably makes our blood pressure go up and our hearts beat fast. 
You know, it's not that they're choosing or rejecting us. It's that we're introducing them to Jesus because we would just love to see them choose him. God, I pray that you would, you would stir in our hearts a desire to share the good news of Jesus. Not because we know everything, because we never will. But because we've been changed by him. Because he's real to us. And then, God, thank you in advance for the privilege of being a part of your plan of salvation. That we get the privilege and the joy of ministry when we're willing to take part in it with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, You know what? This week, here's my challenge to you. It's just simply this. Be aware of what it is and who it is that God might put in your path that you could introduce Jesus to. Maybe maybe there's someone who you've known a very long time, doesn't have a church home. Uh, Christmas is a great opportunity to invite someone to church because, you know what, folks are doing it all over the place. It might be the greatest thing that anyone's ever done for them. Who knows? They might come here, they might might meet Jesus, and they might have their eternity changed forever. And you would get to be a part of that process.